now instead of having Deutschland's greatest beer, we merely have fourth best. The Steinemarsen, Radenberger und... Und... Und Becks? Und Becks? Ja. Und Becks! Ja. You're listening to the DCBeer.com podcast. Welcome to the first ever DCBeer.com podcast. I'm Aaron Morrissey. And I'm Bill DeBon. We are here uh, in lovely Shaw, Washington, D.C. to discuss beers and brewing. Uh, and I thought it might be a good idea for the folks listening at home if Bill could give a little discussion about D.C. beer and what it is and why it exists. DC Beer is a place for people who aren't very nice to make jokes on the internet. (laughs) It's also, however, a news and events website focused around craft beer in the DC metro area. So, what does that mean? Well, we've got an event calendar that we maintain religiously, and then we also bring you news about bar openings and brewery openings and sometimes brewery closings, which hopefully we won't have too many more of. And things like new beers. We've got a newsletter that you can get periodically when we decide to send that out. There's a whole bevy of fine, fine publications that that we can send out to you. And Bill, you have been working for DC Beer for uh, how long now? Um, I think it'll be five years this summer. Will be the will be the five year anniversary of my first article for the site. That's intense. Five years. Labor of love. It's half a decade for those of you who are like things in the decade kind of frame. I'd really like to thank Bill for sacrificing the first half of his 20s for the benefit of the rest of the beer community here in D.C. I think that's a, that's a really good really good thing. and Very, very solid of you, Bill. You're all welcome. If you really want to thank me, just be sure to follow D.C. Beer so that we can continue to grow the, the message that we're sending out there, folks. Yes, that's at D.C. Beer. It's at D.C. On, Beer. On Twitter. DCBeer.com. DCB on Instagram. It's Facebook.com slash DCBeer. If you are not noticing a trend, you are not good with patterns. The walking business card. <laughs> so Bill's been working for DCBeer for five years. Uh, oh, so I, one, one other thing that I, that yeah. about DCBeer that DCBeer does is, um, you know, there are beer weeks that happen periodically. Savor Beer Week and DCBeer Week. And we maintain a bunch of coverage there in terms of daily guides. And the calendar really ramps it up to 11. And... Um, you know, for Savor, if you don't know what Savor is, it's a beer and food pairing event put on by the Brewers Association. We do a profile for every single brewery that comes to Savor. So um, if you think that we have too much time on our hands, it's not really that we do. It's just that we we just really carve it out for, for these big weeks. Yeah, and, that, and that's 50 breweries. So. 76 breweries. Sorry, 76 breweries. I'm limiting myself to the amount of beer I actually plan to drink at Savor, yeah. which is 50. Just lop those first 26 right off the list. I'd aim for a 66% completion rate on my Saver bingo card. Still passing. Uh, well, you know, a lot of Saver this year is actually fairly, you know, low alcohol, sessionable, if you like that word. Uh, beers, um, our own Ray Proper is going to be there. Yeah. Uh, Mad Fox will also yeah. be there. Port City will also be there. Mm-hmm. Bill, did you follow along today? Uh, we are actually recording this on Saver ticket release day. Did you see anything interesting on Twitter today about saver tickets and people being able to get them or not? So here's a Slate-style headline for you, right? Saver tickets. Is this the beginning of the end? Um, It might be. Normally now, saver is the first couple days, or the first couple minutes of it, Mm -hmm. it's gone, right? Mm -hmm. 
you could get tickets to Saver Friday for like a couple hours after they they went live at noon, which is like previously unheard of. Like there were salon tickets available and everything else. It's actually kind of interesting because I was talking with people yesterday because if you're fortunate enough to know people who are in the Brewers Association or are uh, part of the Home Brewers uh, Collective uh, they're in, they have a pre-sale the day before. Um, and I actually checked yesterday and um, I, I saw that the salons were actually pretty full, namely the Allagash Saison, uh, or sorry, Wild Ale uh, Salon, which looks really good, a Saison Salon. And then also the Lager Salon, which looked very good as well, uh, was, was sold out. But it seems like today my hypothesis that it was going to be like a Beyonce concert did not come to fruition. Yeah, I mean, I, and I don't know what it is. I mean, you would think that as you know, demand for craft beer kind of keeps growing that people would want to, I mean, the, 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 they aren't selling more tickets, right? And you would think that as there's more and more people who are in the craft beer scene, that these tickets would go even quicker. But, hey, here's John. John Flurry's here, everybody. <coughs> Say hello, John. Hey, guys. How's it going? What's happening? Oh, uh, you know. Yeah. Living in D.C. Yeah. Traffic. <laughs> Traffic is the worst. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, we were talking about Saber before you got here. Uh-huh. Uh, did you notice any righteous outrage on the, the, the Twitters <clears throat> today? I actually didn't see anything good or bad about it, so I'm curious. It's a good sign for them. Yeah. I assume they didn't sell out because there was no outrage? Well, they didn't sell out quickly. I know as of, like, 1.30 today, they still had Friday tickets available, which is just... In past years, would have just been unheard of. I mean, is this just still hangover from when they moved it to New York and people are still getting back into it? No, I mean, last year it was here, so I mean, people should be used to it. I wonder if now that there are... I mean, Saber's a pricey ticket, right? Saber's $135 and then, what, like $45 for a salon. Maybe there are just... And it's not really maybe. There are enough other events during Saber Week in D.C. that maybe people want to take that 135 and spread it out to, like, a beer dinner and, like, a couple different tabs at events across the week. Well, I think with us, we've been saying this for a long time, that the events at Saber Week often overshadow yeah. actual saver. Yeah, for sure. Um, you have like much more one-on-one time. <clears throat> you can go and pick and choose what you want with that lower price tag. And it just has a much more easygoing feel than getting all dolled up for saver. And everyone's in town anyway, yeah. and the you know industry camaraderie, and there's great beers on tap everywhere. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, we've been saying it for years. Like I, I always prefer the week buildup, and while saver isn't a letdown, it's more of just like the finishing part. And it's like, yep, now everyone's in one spot. Great. Well, speaking of local beers and local events, we are drinking a local beer today. Uh, so, uh, what we're drinking actually is the last offering in the uh, Three Stars Illumina- Illuminati uh, program from last year. It is a uh, blend of Winter Madness with uh, Current Year Madness in a whiskey barrel that was aged for 11 months, a rye whiskey barrel. And uh, it's actually their holiday beer. Uh, that is uh, 11.666% because, because reasons. Because sa- a very Satan Christmas. Because of evil <clears throat> uh, is, is the way to go. Mm. Um, we've all known Dave and Mike and all those guys forever. What do you guys think about the beer? I like it. To me, the blend is nice. You can definitely tell it's blended. It's not your typical, you know, their release. 
but at the same time, it's not overpowering. It's not aggressive. Um, I really like the rye on there, but it's mellow. You know, it it doesn't mm-hmm. like destroy your palate, but at the same time, it's it's aggressive. Mm-hmm. It, we like the rye as we sit with a bottle of Old Old Row in front oh, of us. I, yeah, I already said hi to Old <laughs> Old Row. <laughs> Bill, what do you think? You know, I'm a fan of this. I think it, it dries out fairly nicely on the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that is a, a, bri- a byproduct of having sat in the rye barrel or not, but um, you know, some of the, some of these blends that have come out from Three Stars, but also from other breweries, they, they just knock you over. Like, I, mean, I, I, I could drink probably a good eight or nine ounces of this. There are a lot of these giant boozy beers out there that I really only want four ounces of. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's assertive, but not overly aggressive, mm-hmm. and to me, that's a winning combination. If it had been eleven point six six seven percent, though, that would have been too much. Well, so the restraint in keeping it up to six 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 was really good. No, no one wants to be the neighbor of the beast. No, that's true. So true. <laughs> so true. Um, what well, do you think? Ah, uh, no, I like it. Um, I think Three Stars has done a ton of blends of late, um, and this is one of the better ones. Um, I actually talked to Dave a little bit about, uh, you know, the process on this beer and the constant question with, at least for me, on these kind of reserve beers is, do you hold on to it? Do you drink it right away? And for me, uh, the Illuminati beers I've been drinking pretty quickly after I've received them, in some cases at the bar I go to directly after the brewery, but this one kind of could go either way, I think. You know, you could sit on this for some time and it would do really nice things, but I'm enjoying actually drinking it uh, fresh out the bottle. So Yeah, I don't I don't think much is gonna go on with added age. No. Uh, to, to me, it, it tastes like it has age out of the bottle because it's been sitting on, on that barrel. And it's nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other part of this that is is um, kind of under the radar, you don't you don't notice it because it's actually there is um, the carbonation level on this is, is really right. You yeah. know, um, this is, there, there have been some bottles that have come out recently that have been a little bit under, right? And so for a beer this big, I like to have a little bit of carbonation to scrub my tongue. Yeah, a little, little spoonful of carbonation mm-hmm. helps the medicine go down. I think you get, with a lot of these type of boozy blends, you get a lot of potentially cloyingness, and it really is kind of a turnoff for a lot of people. Not myself, but if it gets you know warm and gets hot, I think it's, it's a just... turn off in volume. Yeah, like, yeah. I would I would definitely drink a full pour of this mm-hmm. versus you know something that had less carbonation and a little more cloying aspect. I would only want three or four ounces of. Yeah, and it doesn't have kind of that overwhelming flavor that you get with a lot of boozy beers, whether it's coffee, chocolate. You know, it all camp. it almost reminds me of like an English style barley wine mm-hmm. in yeah. that sense where like you can still tell that there were hops involved, but at the same time, it's not a malt bomb. That's actually a perfect segue, because I think what we want to talk about today is Blind and Boozy, the event that DC Beer just put on at Scion, well, just put on, <clears throat> well, like, a month ago now. Sure. And also, you know, the importance of blind tasting, especially when it comes to boozier beers, but also in general. So, Bill, maybe you want to give us a quick rundown of how Blind and Boozy went this year. And, sure. Uh, and what your kind of initial takeaways were. So the blind and insert adjective here series started two DC Beer Weeks ago. 
And shout out to uh, Tim Liu, who's the beer director at Scion, a good friend of ours. Yeah, Tim. Um, Tim. <laughs> who, you know, is, is fairly indulgent of these ideas where, you know, we maybe have a couple too many beers and then say to him, hey, you know what would be super great if we did X, Y, or Z and you paid for it? And he's normally game for it. It's great. So the Blind and Boozy series, we had 15 beers there at, at Scion and from 15 different breweries. The only criteria was that the beer be over 9%. So, you know, bring your winter warmers, bring your Russian Imperials, bring your barley wines. And when you come to the event, you know, there's a beer number and then three adjectives. And people for the first four, four and a half hours of the event are just ordering by number and trying to either get if they know beers really well trying to guess what those beers are or just trying to really pull out some of those flavor descriptors um, from the beer that they're drinking and they vote throughout the course of the night and then around 9.30 we announce you know who the winners were <clears throat> so this year the winners first place was Union Brewing Company Chessie which is a yeah. barley wine not chappy <clears throat> not chappy not chappy <laughs> Chessie as I think I called it after Trying all 15 beers on offer. I don't got your money, you <laughs> Um Number two was uh, Boulevard Imperial Stout, and three was Great Lakes Blackout Stout. So I actually think that the event went fairly well. <clears throat> uh, I mean, certainly anytime you, you do an entire lineup with 9% plus beers, it's going to be a challenge for folks. Yeah, but. people are getting friendly. It was good, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, like, a lot... I thought a lot of people were getting involved in actually not going for the ones that they thought, like, oh, I'm pretty sure I know what this one is, but I'm not going to go for that. I'm going to try something new. And it, it brings together the beer nerds who, like, probably have had everything on that list, and the people were like, hey, this is new. This is a good way for me to try things. And also, like, one of the best things I think about it is it brings together all spectrum of beer nerds and you know just casual drinkers and someone who just happened to hear about the event yeah well and i mean there was local breweries involved i mean obviously three stars here actually brought their madness to to serve you know brow was there port city was there um you know we had a really good turnout of both national and local breweries and i think i think you're right on the nose john in that the fact that kind of a style that a lot of people may not have actually ordered if it was on the menu one is kind of a testament to what you know the event's all about really is the importance of blind tasting and how you never really can be sure i I think a lot of people wouldn't have necessarily picked chessy if it just went off uh typical here is union here's the beer here's the style and to me it's pretty indicative that it won a lot of us love Union and what they do, but they don't get a whole lot of love here in D.C. yet. So I thought that, that it was really cool that like they they won, and it was a pretty definitive win, if I believe so. Yeah, I didn't yeah. look at the vote count, but it, it was pretty good. But I think part of that, too, is that a lot of these beers were Russian Imperials, and so when you have a relatively fresh American-style barley wine that really drinks like a dippa, that is going to give you an advantage over the field because it's it's one it's refreshing. I mean it's it's, it's something that is not the same roasty chocolatey bourbony character you're getting from the, from a bunch of the other beers. But also, hops are king in American craft beer right now. I mean have been for a while. And it's great to know that like just from my small 
sampling and talking to people like a lot of people here barley wine like oh i won't like that mm. well you did mm-hmm. and you do mm-hmm. you know not styles have parameters for a reason mm-hmm. and they can fall anywhere within that parameter and for you to block yourself from certain styles just because you've had previous experiences that you didn't like mm-hmm. I think it's a great event to show that, like, maybe you shouldn't do that. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I think barley wine is a very, like, misunderstood style, and, you know, I can't... I believe it... Actually, at Scion, there was a, I think, barley wine event, you know, maybe two or three years ago, and I remember people coming out, and it was, you know, the stock people that you would see at, you know, most of these events, and I think one of our main questions was, like, I think a lot of people would really enjoy these beers if they just were, you know, open to giving it a shot, and I think... Absolutely blind tasting in an event like that where it's kind of like very you know um, open to both you know the beer nerds among us and the non-beer nerds is really good i mean i will say especially uh good for union uh because when you're talking about breweries like great lakes boulevard i mean these are pretty established names Mm -hmm. even if you're not drinking a ton of beer you probably have had you know imperial style from boulevard at some point in your life, but I think it's a real, you know, testament to the good work that they're doing as well. I think it's actually kind of interesting to look at that, the results of that in comparison to what's happening with Beer Madness, John's favorite subject. (laughs) Um, I'm not anti-Beer Madness, I just don't care (laughs) who wins, who loses. Like, the best beer is the one in front of you, and I fully believe that. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have the context for what Beer Madness is, Beer Madness is an annual beer competition bracket style thing put on by Fritz Hahn of the Washington Post and it's 30 they start with 32 right yeah it's 32 32. they start with 32 beers four flavor profiles in crisp hot malty and then spice and fruit uh, it's, it's generic other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Category yeah. 23. So they have, <laughs> so this, this is, it's kind of odd. Like they have, you know, they have a panel of, that's mixed between experts and just kind of like regular civilian style folks who are beer enthusiasts. Three and three, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so the panel, like each week they write a story about, you know, what the panel chose as they, as they went through these beers. But then there's also a public vote. So you're seeing these two brackets kind of advance each week through the course of March. You know, you get to see where the public agreed or disagreed, disagreed with the, the panelists. And obviously the panelists are doing this on a blind tasting. The public gets to see the brands, gets to see the beers, and so that skews it a little bit. I've actually never looked at the bracket this year, and I have no idea who's winning. But I said from the beginning, I thought Tank 7 would win solely because it's a quality beer, but it, it's a quality beer that adheres to everybody. People who are into hops will like it. People mm-hmm. who are into malt will like it. People who are into saisons will like it. Mm-hmm. And so it'll simply get the popular vote. I have no idea where things are at now. I heard like the cellar the, door is out of it. Yeah, door tank, is out tank of seven's it. in the yeah. final four, yeah. I think. Okay. Of oh, is that what they're at now? Yeah, okay. actually, oh, both. it's the only one that's in both. Okay. Um, I think uh, Schlafly Kolsch is in the public vote final four. The final four is Schlafly for the public vote is Schlafly Kolsch versus Founders. Porter. Porter, yeah, and then it's uh, Green Flash West Coast IPA versus Tank Seven. Kind of like arch- you have some archetypal beers that are <laughs> yeah. facing off against each yeah. other, yeah. But in bizarre ways. I mean, you would never compare a Kolsch to a Porter in general. I mean, it's just it's it's. I mean, it's almost you know it's a slave to the you know bracket system, right? Where you have to now pick between a very traditional Kolsch and. A very traditional porter, yeah. 
And that's really going to be just like, well, do you like Porter or Kolsch better? Yep. The, the the blind panel, though, the blind bracket is even weirder. On the, on the left side of that bracket, you have Blue Jacket Forbidden Planet, which yeah. is a Galaxy Dry Hopped Kolsch. Um, against Wake and Bake Terrapin Wake and Bake Imperial Oatmeal Stout Really? I mean you could not find two beers that were more diametrically <laughs> opposed to each other it's unbelievable so I, yeah I, I, it's the coffee you know and I Bill and I have talked about this this is the vagaries of blind tasting you have a panel of six people who clearly are really liking dominant flavors and if you look at a lot of you know what Fritz has written up it's been Wow, coconut. I like coconut, you know? I can taste this, especially if you aren't tasting beer on a regular basis, those dominant flavors are going to dominate. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that's a selling point for a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people want big, full flavors, but also not have to think about what else is in there. I want this coffee, so I'm going to get the coffee stout. Mm-hmm. You know, I want this hoppy beer. So, like, you know, Green Flash West Coast, very quintessential, like... To me, it's a one-trick pony. If you like it, you're going to like that style, you know, and, and that's how it is. Yeah, exactly. So I, I do think it's interesting, and credit to them for doing blind tastings, because I do think it's always a fun exercise mm-hmm. to go through, even for people who drink beer all the time. So I would encourage people, if you're listening, to go and blind taste beers regularly and just kind of remind yourself of how interesting beer can be without the labels. And it doesn't have to be, like, super complicated either. I mean, if you go to someplace like a Church Key or Meridian Pint, somewhere that does four-ounce pours, if you want to order three beers that you think are fairly close to each other, just tell your bartender not to tell you which is which. Label them one, two, and three, and then go from there. I mean, it's not it's not a super hard process. Well, semi-related is how I became really good friends with Dave Coleman years ago when he was working at uh, Big Hunt. You know, he gets something new and he's like, here, try this. What's in there? You know, and that's one of the ways that he just like throws something in front of me. And I'd like try and name what hops are in there. And it's one of the things that like he told me that he was impressed with my palate because I wouldn't know what's going in. And I'd be able to pick out certain hops, things like that. And aside from getting to know things that I wouldn't necessarily want to drink, you know, just by tap handle or description it also got a little camaraderie and it was a game with it we'll mm-hmm. drinking at the bar I mean we always say best way to learn more about beer drink more beer sure. you know and that doesn't have to be a challenge you know it doesn't have to be like a you know oh I, I can blind taste better than you mm-hmm. but I think you know everyone's still learning and oh, everyone's always learning I mean if you want to yeah but if you want to learn things like hot profile right if you want to be able to go to a place and be like, that have, that has Amarillo in it, that has Topaz in it, that has Citra in it, you need to like train your palate to know what Citra tastes like as mm-hmm. opposed to Galaxy. And so the best way to do that is to, to test yourself. So I would highly recommend people do that. Any other thoughts on Blind and Boozy while we're, while we're, while that, while we're there? You know, the only thing I want to say is that if you missed Blind and Boozy, um, we're thinking about doing... We, we don't have a... a Work we don't have a title for it yet, but we're thinking during Saber Week we may do something with blind and sour or funky beers. Um, Bring out the tums. Yeah. And actually, I, I was talking about this with Jonathan over at Right Proper the other night, that I think that sour and funky beers, unlike the boozy and, and the bitter beers where we do IPAs and double IPAs, I think they will be less like biased toward high grav. Right, because I think that you can you can pack a huge flavor profile 
into a relatively low alcohol sour beer, right? If you look at like mm-hmm. Kick Kick Snare from Right Proper, that packs a ton of different flavors into something that is, I don't know, like three and a half, three six, three seven. I mean, you have Saison Brett from Boulevard, right? Which also has a, is a fairly high grab beer, but has a pretty big profile. But I don't think people are going to gravitate to Saison Brett just because it's higher grab. Well, to me, it's actually a difference of ingredients, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could say the same thing about Blind and Bitter, which is the DC Beer IPA blind tasting with hop varietals. You could say the same thing about, you know, high grab beers for Blind and Boozy and the different flavors that come with that. But I mean, if you're talking about different strains of yeast, mm-hmm. you're talking about different generations, you're talking about bacteria, bacteria mm-hmm. you know, different types of bread, different types of lacto, you know, that is a, the same thing. And actually, I would argue harder in a lot of ways because unless you're brewing in like that Belgian tradition of using the same, like you know what a Saison DuPont is mm-hmm. every time you have it, like Duranc, Dalsant, like that, you know what that strain is if you've had those beers. But I mean, I was just talking to Greg at Blue Jacket the other day about like how they're now on their second generations, and like if you haven't had that generation before, it could be it could be tough. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's actually a little bit even more dynamic because you're dealing with live cultures as opposed to like kind of known quantities. I guess. And I think it'll be interesting to see you know if you get some beers that are funky but not sour, mm-hmm. and sour yeah. not funky. Mm-hmm. See where people kind of. Mitigate towards, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that could be, there could be huge upsets, you know. Like, oh my god, I've never even thought of that, you know, that kind of thing. So many people like immediately head towards like uh, Goza's because it's very easy to drink and just got a little bit of lacto on there. But at the same time, like they might go and try some other things that they might not necessarily want to try. Yeah, I mean the interesting thing too, I think during Beer Madness, was there was a lot of discussion about the brewery beer, which I believe was Tartic Darkness. People just generally were like, well, stylistically, I think this beer is really great, but I I don't like sours, Uh, which... And it's in the malty category, and, like, there is. I mean, there are malt notes in there, but it's not... It's certainly not, like, a Russian imperial. Sure, sure. I mean, like, the issue of of pairing different styles of beer is difficult. Well, anyway, so building on that, I think, you know, we wanted to bring in some questions... From people to kind of close out this podcast, uh, and we actually have one from our good buddy Dave Earl. Go Ant Eaters! Yeah, UC Irvine. That was that was tough, Dave. I was rooting for you in the airport at O'Hare. Um, I was not. <laughs> John actually was. He threw tomatoes at his at the television. I'm not rooting against you. He was just very apathetic. We're not rooting against you. We just hate you. So Dave, Dave wants to know, what earns a beer elevated status for its brand when it would falter in a blind taste test? So it could be a lot of things. It could be quality, could be just name recognition, could be many different it's like that's a tough question, but I think it's there are a couple of things. So here's so here here are my initial kind of takes on this. One could be you grew up with beer. Um, you know, you, either you came from a college town where that was your local craft brewery. I mean, you look at, um, you know, Terrapin or Sweetwater, you know, they have followings, right? Like regional followings. Great Lakes is the same way. Now, great Lakes is, I mean, these, these brewers are all making great beer. I'm not saying that they're, they're not high quality, but... No, but it's elevated. But it, it is elevated because of these things like regional affinity. Mm-hmm. More hyper-locally, it could be because you have a really good rep. If you have a really good beer rep in the city 
who is putting on events that are really interesting, you can make kind of this stone soup out of beer that might not be so great, right? But if you have really good events ideas and you're a really charismatic rep who really likes to tell the story of your brewery, you could be like, yeah, I'm going to grab this brewery off the shelf because I really like so-and-so. And, like, he bought me a beer last time I was at the hunt. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we were just talking last night, and I won't mention the brewery name, but, you know, I told the rep... I don't like any of your beers. They are things that just don't speak to me. However, one, I know that they're good beers. They just don't speak to me. And two, I love everyone who I've met from your brewery. So therefore, I will support you. I will push you as much as I can. You know, and to go back to something what you were saying about like, you know, that regional identity, elevated status, if you can't get it in the region you're in now, mm. Oh my God, I love that beer so much because of the nostalgia it creates and the fact you can't get it. I mean, the whole Yingling thing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. regardless if it's a good beer or not, people crave it who aren't from the Mid Atlantic, who aren't from Pennsylvania. You know, up, up until a few years ago, or actually last year, you know, they, it wasn't in Massachusetts. And my beer nerds would be like, oh, bring back some Yingling. And I'm like, no, I'm bringing back local stuff. <laughs> like no no disrespect to Yingling, but I'm like, you can get that from anybody. Let me bring you back something a little more rare from some of the smaller guys doing stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, beer is a people industry at the end of the day, right? Uh, and we're talking about a product that is produced by people and sold by people, uh, distributed by people, and I do think that that goes a long way. Even when we're talking about connections between people who want to drink beer, it's fine. You know, it's drank by people. Well, uh, t- to me, it's something that we were talking about yesterday at the uh, Brewers Association dinner. Beer is a manufactured product, and manufacturing equals like a tangible aspect. So that connection goes from the brewer to the rep to the person, and it's all this tangible stepping. It's not like an app or an IT product where there's no tangibility to it. There's no one person's name on it. You know, it's an actual product and everyone knows. Hey, you hear that? That's DC. (laughs) (laughs) I guess like a more more cynical take too is, you know, if you're a misogynistic asshole and there's there's a brewery out there that for whatever reason names its beer something like really offensive toward women oh, and you're like, like happy yeah bro high five i'm gonna drink that all day mm-hmm. it's like you regard regardless of how the beer tastes right if you're like yeah i'm gonna drink this because i'm all about mistreating women or whatever the hell the, the beer is talking about you would drink you just drink that beer right you can identify with anything you know yeah. i'm sure yeah. so many people identify with the dc brow and you know the heavy like DC center, Local you know, yeah. uh, you know, you got three floors of the heavy like metal influence. Mm-hmm. Even like the brewery, to some extent, it's like very like almost like nomadic gypsy vibe to it. It's like I don't know what's coming up next. You need to check this out. You know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Surly, like you know, they openly like don't give a shit, and that's kind of their thing. You like know? a stone, like you're not worthy. Like how yeah. many people bought arrogant bastards for so long because literally you are not worthy enough to drink this beer. I, I mean, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but like it seems you have to have almost this like 
stance almost. Well, it's brand identity. And it's, yeah, exactly. It's exactly what, you know, you use to sell your beer that's beyond the beer because everyone in the market is selling beer. Uh, to, to me, uh, you know, uh, you guys know me, I always go back to music and how a brand or how a band presents itself in the mm. imagery yeah. that elicits response from a lot of people and certain bands that might sound exactly the same but like, look totally different and give off a different vibe it affects people differently and so i'm sure beer branding labeling these things matter a lot of people want to say it doesn't but it does yeah so dave thanks for your question and please send us some modern times we're very thirsty <laughs> that'll do it for this episode uh thanks to john flurry for being here john do you want to do you want to tell people where they can uh send you naked pictures uh, yeah, just send them to uh, Bill's email. Yeah, that's uh, at DC Beer Bill. Please send him all your dick pics. Uh, I'm Aaron Morrissey. Terrible. Uh, yeah, we're, we're awful humans. We weren't joking about that jokes on the internet thing at the beginning. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back with another podcast soon. Cheers.